Romans 7. I'll start with a story. There was a lady who was married to a man named Mr. Perfect. Her name was Laura, let's say. (laughs) Mr. Perfect was a great husband, but he had all these rules, all these do's and these don'ts. And every day he'd leave his wife with a list of do's and a list of don'ts, and she would try really hard to keep the list of do's and the list of don'ts, and she never quite was able to do it. He'd come home, he'd point out what she did wrong, she'd get upset, she'd try hard the next day, same thing, never happened. Well, one Saturday, she said, I'm really going really to do what this man wants. I want to make him happy. So she got up, said, what do you want for breakfast? He said, I'll have two eggs, honey. How do you want them, sweetheart? One fried, one scrambled. So she fried one, she scrambled the other, she brought the plate. He took the plate and pushed it away. She said, what? He says, you fried the wrong egg and scrambled the wrong egg. You got it all backwards. Mr. Perfect. Well, one day, Mr. Perfect died. And the day he died, the lady married a guy named Mr. Love. And Mr. Love had the same standards, same list of do's and don'ts. It was even worse. It was more severe. But everything he called his wife to do, he would do for her or do on her behalf. He joined her in all the work. And she was not to a lesser standard having to keep do's and don'ts, but she had a husband named Mr. Love who kept all the standards for her and strengthened her to do it. Do you know that's a true story? Do you know that should be your story? It's about remarriage. Paul. Was Paul married? The apostle, apostle Paul. Was he ever married? Guys, it's too small. You got to be louder. Nope. Was he? No. Jim is wrong. Back up to the fourth row, please. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Paul was actually married multiple times. And I can show you that from Scripture. Paul was married multiple times. In fact, that's what Romans 7 is all about. And if you are saved, you should be married. You will have been married multiple times. And in fact, God is a massively huge fan of remarriage. In fact, his desire is that all people would be remarried. Every last one. Now you say, Pastor, you lost your mind. I did, but I'm speaking truth here. Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long, only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress, if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Wait a minute, I feel like I just told you a story about that. Bear with me. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Anybody here been married twice? Anyone here married to Mr. Perfect? Anyone here now married to Mr. Love? The law is Mr. Perfect. The standard is too severe. But Jesus is Mr. Love. Are you tracking with me here? 
What then shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced to me all kinds of? I can't even say that word. Thank you. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it killed me, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means! It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and that that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The law has a purpose. First and foremost, do you know the purpose of the law? Over 600 commandments in Scripture. Do you know the purpose of them? Getting too close for comfort. I'll come over here. Do you know the purpose of those 600 commandments? First and foremost, go and do them, right? Well, it gets, it gets worse. To show us that we're sinners. Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. All right, good legalistic Christians. Anyone do that? Well, what's the point of the law? You can't do it. It's, this is the purpose of a Bible. You take it and you hit someone on the head with it. <laughs> Not really. But that's what the law does. It smacks you in the face and says, Mr. Law, Mr. Perfect says, keep these commandments. If you don't keep these commandments, you cannot live with me. And the lost person, because of the effects of sin, tries to keep the commandments. The saved person recognizes they cannot keep the commandments. Are you all tracking with me here? But too often we put on a pretense, a legalistic pretense, that we're doing okay keeping the law. Anyone try to put on the front of I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay? You know, the Tripp family is perfect. We, who left? We, we do nothing wrong. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm basically fully sanctified. When I stub my toe, I sometimes fail to praise God, right? That's the, that's the essence of my sin. Besides the fact I'm lying, deceitful, and wicked, if that's how I truly speak. But so often we put on these false pretenses trying to make ourselves look good, but here's the point of the law. You absolutely, totally, completely stink. You can't keep that standard. But the law goes beyond that. After the law does this, the law lifts you up. Because someone came to keep the law on your behalf. Someone came to keep the law perfectly. His name is Mr. Love. We know him better as Jesus. And here's what happens. He not only fulfilled the law on our behalf, I'll show you in a minute, he empowers us to keep the law through his power. Look at, look at Romans 7, 6. That is the cleanest definition of a Christian. You guys see it? Somebody read it. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's a Christian. That, yes, but what she read is a Christian. You're saved from the law, from condemnation of the law, to the power of God to be able to keep the law 
as a new creation. Amen? I want you to think about it. Does everybody have a piece of paper in front of you of some type? The purpose of the law, don't start writing yet. I'm going to have you do this in a minute. For the lost person is to convict you of sin. Paul was convicted of covetousness, the 10th commandment. He knew it, but he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, what is the purpose of the law for a saved person? First and foremost, what's the purpose of the law? Watch this. I'll mess with your head and finish this up next week. What is the purpose of the law? It's twofold for the believer, but it convicts you of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying here? The law is designed for the believer to convict you of sin. And the more it convicts you of sin, the more sin you see in your life. And the more sin you see in your life, now you can get to the bottom of chapter 7. We won't get there until next week. But verse 24, wretched man that I am. The law is designed to show you as believers how incredibly wicked and bad and pathetic and sin infested and infected you are. I'm talking to Christian people here. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's the pivot. I want you, you don't have to do this right now, but I want you to make a little box on your piece of paper there. And I want you to fill in some things during the course of the day where you are failing to keep God's law. See, sometimes I'll, I'll say to someone, how can I pray for you? Oh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're lying, dog. Now, we were talking yesterday at Men's Breakfast, some really interesting conversation. We struggle to see sin in our own lives. But we can tend to see it in someone else's lives. Have you ever wanted to ask someone the question, where do you see me struggling in sin? So, I, so I'm going to give you the box challenge on your own. Where are you struggling in sin? I don't want to read your box. Keep your box to yourself. But, but don't allow that to be excused by cheap grace because the point of Romans 7 is Paul's defense of the law and the law is good. First and foremost, the law saves you from a marriage to Mr. Perfect to a marriage to Mr. Love. But when you're married to Mr. Love, you're still going to keep the law. You have an obligation to keep the law. And I feel like in the eyes of the world, a true Christian is no different than a unicorn. They don't think they exist. Because they see man-made, self-righteous legalists who go to church and are biblically illiterate or biblical thumpers and they're real jerks and they're not changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're just prettied up lost people. My friends, we have to understand as believers by the law what wretched people we are. Why are we so into having the lost world keep God's rules? I want the culture to obey the Ten Commandments. You can't even do it yourself. Jesus didn't come to say obey the law. He came to show us that we can't obey the law. And just like a leopard can't change its spots, you ain't going to be able to obey the law on your own. But while we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for who? Oh, now do you know what happened when he died? If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Who are you? Remember, was it last week or two weeks ago? You know, we talked about how you already attended your funeral. Mm -hmm. 
If you're saved, the day you came to faith, you attended your own funeral and birthday in the same day. If you are saved, you were dead to your, pardon me, your former spouse has died to you and you've been married to another. Who would have thunk us Christians are all people who have already died and have been remarried? You're a, you're a dead, remarried, reconciled sinner. You ever think of yourself that way? You ain't so pretty and clean. You, you ain't so wonderful. You ain't got nothing to offer on your own but stank and filth and, and blech. But Jesus came to do something incredible. He came to make you nice. Amen? You're all not awake. Jesus came to just clean up the exterior. He came to power wash us. Pastor, you out of your mind. I am out of my mind. Jesus came to make us a new creation. Okay? Now let me show you this because we're about to get crazy here. Psalm 19. Flip your, flip your Bible over there. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. You guys know that 119 one. It goes on forever and ever and ever, right? Well, Psalm 19 is the uh, cliff notes of Psalm 119. And in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You guys tracking with me here? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the drippings of a honeycomb. But I thought the law smacked you in the face, and I thought you couldn't keep the law, and I thought we just saw the law even convicts believers of sin. So was the psalmist drunk? I don't know. 119, Psalm, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous truth from your law. How can the psalmist rejoice in this law whose purpose is to hit rich in the head? How? Deuteronomy, keep it or die. That's what it says, you don't have to read Deuteronomy, you read Deuteronomy. Anyone here ever read Galatians 3? Go ahead, flip over there. Where, let's wear the gold leaf off of these suckers. Galatians 3. This is where we go. Everybody got to get there. Galatians 3. Verse 10. Who's there? Who's got a loud voice? George, have at it. Good morning. Good morning. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Keep going. Two more verses. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Amen. Do you see what that's saying? you got to keep the law. The law has been kept for you. And now you are able by grace through faith to keep the law. This is the worst sermon I'm ever going to preach. Because, well, maybe not the worst, because i got to finish it up next week. It makes no sense until we get through next week. But watch this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Curse is everyone who's hanged on a tree, 
So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Guys, here's what's so important to understand. We have been saved from the law's requirements and are now obliged in the power of God to keep the law's requirements because it's what we've been saved to and what we've been empowered to and what we will do if we are saved. Is everybody tracking with me here? How do you do? How, how though? Does anyone here still sin? Yes. yes. Why? How, how do you not, how do you stop sinning? Hmm. Be transformed. Becky's going to answer that, so why don't you? You know what? She just answered it perfectly. Do you know how you stop sinning? You die. And you know what you do when you die? You start to live. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, and that be you now in Christ. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. If you are saved, you ain't who you used to be. Did you know that? If you are saved, you have a new desire. You have a new power. You have a new master. You've died with Christ. You've risen with Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. Remember Romans 6? Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 600 and roughly 13 commandments. 613 commandments. Do they matter? Way more than you realize. Why do they matter? Look at 7.6 again. You were saved to keep the commandments of God in the power of God for the glory of God. Do you, do you understand that's what a Christian is? It's not someone who shows up at church on Sunday, though Christians have been known to do that. It's not someone who reads a Bible, though Christians have been known to do that. It is someone who is transformed, reborn, reconciled, made anew from the inside out. But we're not fully there yet. Amen? Who, who here is still a recovering sin addict? Now, now I, I use that every stinking week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because an addict is someone who is insanely stuck in a repetitive lifestyle of destruction. And we are recovering, often relapsing, sin addicts. And the biggest problem the addict needs to understand is, two, their inability, one, their inability to break it, and two, what it is they're addicted to and how destructive it is. Sin is wicked and vile and destructive and deceptive and evil and corrosive and horrendous, and in our messed up, fallen perspective, it looks so awesome. It's like the deceitfulness of riches. Well, deceive me away. You know, it's like, it's like, what is wrong with us? How do we break out of this? What do we do about this? Do you want to know the answer? Do you want to know the secret? Look at 14 to the end. You see, here's the problem. Now I'm ready to preach this chapter. And we're, we're, we're yeah, right? You guys want to stay through noon up here? 
You cannot keep God's law on your own. You can't. And that's what you need to understand. Don't, don't just try harder. Remember the gospel better. Allow yourself to be, what does Jesus say? Someone help me out. He prays in, in John 17. Father, sanctify them by your blank. Your blank is truth. You want to grow? You know how God grows you? By his, a.k.a. law. Do you, do you want to glorify God? Do you know what God saved you to do to keep his? How do you keep it? In his power as a new creation. You see, Paul knew the 10th commandment. Do you think Paul, he was, he was in the Sanhedrin basically. Do you think he didn't know the 10th commandment? Oh my gosh, my mom never told me number 10. You're not supposed to covet? Oh my goodness, I'm coveting, I'm coveting everywhere. I'm going to go to hell. Stop it. The Holy Spirit convicted Paul of sin. He convicted Paul of coveting and showed him what coveting was. And then Paul saw it everywhere. I can't stop coveting. My friends, do you see sin everywhere in your life? Do you see coveting? You know what coveting means? Desiring something for yourself that's not your own. Whoo, that's a big one. Do you ever desire something for yourself that's not your own? I ain't talking about that purchase at the mall. I'm talking about that power and glory that belongs to God. You're not in charge. He is. It's not yours. It's his. This life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's where that starts. If you're saved, can I give you some news? By the law of God, you ain't your own. You've been bought with a price, and you still covet, and you covet all over the place. And I'd like you to leave here today a little bit depressed and discouraged. I can't seem to stop doing it. Good! Because when you get there, then we can get going here in how you walk in the power of God. God is not a consultant. God is not giving suggestions. God is a sovereign who gives commandments. And you can't keep his commandments on your own. But by his grace, you can. And this is the gospel. God slimed us. And as we realize the slime is beautiful, we have the joy he intends for us as we walk in his glory. But until you've been slimed, you can do nothing pleasing to God. Have you been slimed by the Holy Spirit? Have you been convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment? Have you come to see your inability to do what God calls you to? Do you care? Do you grieve? Have you repented? If so, thanks be to God because Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Amen? Amen. Mr. Mr. Perfect. The wife said, well, if I do, if I try my hardest, if I keep most of his commandments, well, then that'll be good enough. Does that work with Mr. Perfect? No. Well, Mr. Love, I don't have to keep his commandments. It doesn't matter. Does that work with Mr. Love? Mr. Love is far more demanding. Mr. Perfect says, go one mile. You know what Mr. Love says? Go two. Mr. Love says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? You know what Mr. Love says? Forgive your enemies. Mr. Love's standards are far more severe. 
because he drills them down to the heart. He doesn't just say, you shall honor the Lord and keep the Sabbath. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mr. Love standards is not lowered, it's higher. And we now have a higher standard, but we have a higher power because we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. You know, I always think about at Christmas time, what would Jesus want? And I read the first few chapters of Romans. And I know what he wants because he tells me. You guys want to know what he wants from his church? No? I'll keep it a secret. He wants us to wake up. He wants us to wake up. He wants us to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. He wants us to understand who we are in the serious matter that we've been saved to. So may I say to all of us, wake up! He is risen, but we got to wake up! Look at Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from being married to Mr. Perfect. Do you see that there? It's a different translation I might be reading. It's the Pastor John translation. Mr. Perfect dropped dead. We're not captive to him in marriage anymore. So now we're married to Mr. Love. And we can serve Mr. Love in this new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of trying to do on our own what Mr. Perfect told us to do. What's a Christian? Remember we, how many weeks did we spend on what is the gospel? You, want to, we, you, you guys got that one on your index cards? You better get the gospel good. Someone asks you a question. What's a Christian? A forgiven dead body that's been raised to life. I'm serious with this though. People, lost people, don't know what a Christian is. They know what an imposter is. Except they don't know it's an imposter. Christian, do you know what a Christian is? Do you know what you are? Because we're living in a strange time where they're endangered species nowadays. <laughs> but here's the beauty. They won't all die out. And they, they populate and reproduce rather, rather gregariously if you do it the Lord's way. Do you know how believers reproduce? Jesus tells us, go out and reproduce. We, we inseminate the world, if you will, with the gospel. It is the same Holy Spirit who is at work in convicting you of sin and drawing you to faith through this gospel by using his law that uses this gospel to draw people to saving faith. You want to fix up your family. You want to fix up your life. You want to fix up your friends. The first thing you've got to realize is you cannot do that. And then you've got to define what does it mean to be fixed up. And fixed and up is being able to know God and honor God and love God and serve God. For in that we find glory for him and honor and joy for us. This is just a mess. Because the law, when it shows up, do you know what we do in the flesh? I don't want to do that. Who are, who are you, listen to this, who are you to tell me what to do? Augustine was walking once through a, an orchard. Sign said, don't touch the fruit. You know what he did? He took the fruit, ran out of the orchard, threw it away. He wrote in Confessions why he did this. He said, I wasn't hungry. The sign said, don't touch it, and it made me want to take it. We do not like to be told what to do. Stay off the grass. What do kids do? 
Go and, go and share the gospel. You know what we say to God with our actions? Pipe down, old man. Don't we? My friends, that's the flesh. We need to understand there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Got good news for you. Jesus doesn't love you based on how well you live. He loves you based on how well he lived. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf when we trust in him. How do you know if you've really trusted in him, though? How do you know if it was just intellectual? How do you know if this regeneration thing really took? How do, how do you know if you're really saved? Well, that's a, you all want to know the answer to that, I suspect, right? Because you want to find out one day when you meet Jesus, you weren't really saved. You see a desire from the inside coming out. This is what we're spending all of our time the last month and a half in Sunday school dealing with. And today we're really going to dig into it. And I encourage you guys, stick around for it. I guarantee it's better than the pregame show for the Eagles. Probably better than, no, well, we'll just stop there and move on. As we walk in obedience, we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming us from one degree of glory to another. But as you attempt to walk in obedience, you know what you're going to do? You're going to mess up and trip up and screw up and flop up and make a horrible, horrible mess of it. And do you know what you want to do then? Welcome to the battle. Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm not of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Who, who's writing this? Paul. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, important caveat, Paul. Paul the apostle? Dude is a fairly, fairly mature believer. You think if Paul was here, you'd be all impressed, right? If Paul comes walking in, I, I think he's supposed to be some short, squatty, ugly guy. But he'd walk in and we'd be like, oh, it's Paul! And then some Catholic people who've recovered from that would be messed up. Like, what do we do? Do we pray to him? Do we worship him? Right? We'd get all messy. Well, Paul walks in and we'd be like, Paul, can you tell us something? Can you show us something? Come on, Paul. And you know what Paul would say? He'd say, oh, you, you, don't, you don't need to hear from me. You, you don't know how screwed up I am. No, Paul, we read the Bible. You were awesome. You did incredible stuff. You traveled in the shipwreck thing and the snake bite. And wow, and that, that kid Eutychus fell out of the window and he came back. Wow, Paul, this is awesome. We're so excited to meet you, Paul. Paul would say, chill out. Pride to me, not you guys. And he would just say, you don't understand who I am. I'm the most screwed up dude you would ever meet. And then you'd be all messed up in your head because you'd be like, but you're an apostle. Like, right? But, but you're screwed up. Oh, way more than you know. You, you mean you still sin? Oh, yeah. In fact, I sin all over the place. No, Paul, don't tell us this. You're not perfect. You know what we find out? And you spend some time with Paul, you know what you find out? He's a man who knew Jesus well, loved him incredibly, but was really screwed up on his own. Because Jesus works through screwed up, messed up folks, because Paul understood, when I am weak, then I am strong. My friends, embrace this reality. You are weak, screwed up, messed up, forgiven sin addicts. Do you, do you understand that? Don't try to impress people with yourself. We're in the church now. Okay, this is a church family. Would you embrace this truth? Y'all is messed up folk. 
That's what qualifies us to be in a church family. But you're not going to stay messed up forever. And we're going to be less messed up day by day. But the crazy thing is, the more you mature, the more you see sin in your life still, and it drives you more fully to Christ. And it's a daily, daily battle of dying to self and living for the glory of God. We'll look at this next week. Paul doesn't understand what he's doing. He doesn't know why he's doing what he doesn't want to do and not what he wants to do. And he's all spinning around the place and he sounds like he lost his mind. It reads a little better in the Greek. But what we need to understand is way back here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This should be a delight to every one of us. This is the way we honor God, the way we know God, the way we walk with God, and through keeping his commandments, we have joy everlasting. You see, the flesh says, go and get drunk, smoke some pot, and sleep around. You'll have abundant life. I'm just saying I don't think that works. So the flesh says to a different population, keep the rules. God will be impressed with your keeping his rules. I'm just saying that don't work out so well. Mr. Perfect will drive you and beat you down. Or he'll, he'll numb you up so you think you're a pretty good person like Paul. But when the law comes to you face to face under the power of the Holy Spirit, rejoice in the fact that you're screwed up. Because Jesus only came to save screwed up dead folk. But he doesn't just leave us there with a, write a little E on our foreheads for elect and leaves us laying on the ground. No, 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 he brings us to newness of life. Do you know why Jesus brought dead people back to life in the gospel? Remember, remember that widow's son in the coffin? I love this. You read that one. Go ahead, read it. Not right now. But some, some kid, sounds like a you know, young man. He's in a, in a coffin. And they're marching him through. And all of a sudden, you hear this noise. Just imagine yourself there. Dusty streets and animal noises and, and everything. You, know, you, you smell the smell as you're there. It's hot. There, there's just dust in the air. And there's a, a coffin coming by. It's loud. There's wailing. There's mourning. There's grief. And, and this coffin comes by. The heck was that? And then, then they ripped this sucker open and that dead, that dead guy ain't dead no more. Remember that? Remember Lazarus? Oh, I love that story. In the tomb, four days, Jesus shows up. Let's roll that stone back. Oh, geez, he's going to stink. Okay, let's leave it there. We'll skip that. I mean, come on. So they rolled the stone back. Did it stink? Do you remember that? It doesn't say it was Listerine and Purell and, and Lysol wiped. It was death in there. But you know what came out of the death? A living guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus was... What is that? I'm stuck in the stuff. They unwrap him so he could go. My friends, when the world looks at believers, I think they see us laid in the coffin. We're like dead by like, look, my fingers move. You can do better than move the fingers. The legs, they be working. The eyes, they be seeing. The mouth, they be talking. And as we walk in the power of God for the glory of God, oh, what might happen? My friends, Romans 7 is a wake-up call to the church. Romans 7 is a gift to the church. Romans 7 is an encouragement to the church. Romans 7 is a reminder to the church. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's wonderful. It revives the soul. It leads us in life. But you can't do it on your own. You can only do it if you're married to Mr. Love. And as you keep his law, you know who gets the glory? Glory. 
Mr. Love, because he moves your hands and he moves your feet. You ever, you ever see a little kid sitting at a piano? They have like a parent who can play the piano. And the parent's like playing all, sounds all real pretty. And the little kid's sitting there like, they think they're playing too. They're, they're joining in and making a beautiful song. My friends, you're the little kid sitting on the lap of Mr. Love. But he saved us to play with him. And here's the thing. Eventually, as we mature, we see our hands playing a fine symphony on the keys of the piano. But don't get big-headed because you know what you need to notice? Somebody has their hands on top of yours. See, anything good you can do is done in the power of God for the glory of God. But you can do this because you're not dead. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. You're saying I don't need to live with my addiction? I, you know what? Let's go, let's go there because you asked. The hard thing with physical addiction is you cannot always break out of a physical addiction. Anyone here ever known an addict? It's a horrible, horrible thing to watch. And the addict knows that what they're doing is destructive, but they just can't stop. You know, I, I don't want to drink anymore. But you know where they end up going back to? Drinking. And some people simply cannot physically make themselves stop and they will drive themselves to death through that addiction. Some people are a little stronger willed. Some of the addictions are a little lower measure. My dad smoked four packs of cigarettes a day from the age of 18 until my second birthday. And on my second birthday, he's a stubborn man. On my second, I say that with all affection in case he listened to me. On my second birthday, he determined that he would just stop. And do you know what he did? Stop, never smoked a cigarette again for my second birthday. He went from four packs a day to none, cold turkey, dead, stop, done. You see, here's the thing with sin. Some people try to just, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to commit today to never doing any more sin ever again. And you know what happens? They might make it a week or two. Now, you really can't if you want to get technical. But they're going to fall right back into that sin if they're trying to do it on their own. Others over here going, I want to stop, but I can't stop. It's impossible for me to stop. I don't want to do it, but I'm stuck. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Because you remember back here in Romans 6? If we're saved by grace through faith, won't we just go on sinning? Remember what Paul said? By no means. You can't. Well, why can't we? Because you've died with Christ. You've risen with Christ. Because you're not a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. You're not stuck in sin. You're not stuck in sin. You're not stuck in sin. Did I say that? Now, because you're not stuck in sin, we get to Romans 7. Well, what's the purpose of the law then? If we're not stuck in sin and the law convicts us of sin, well, was the law just bad? Oh, by no means. The law is good. We're obliged to the law. And we can obey the law because of who we are in Christ. My friends, that's what I want you to get from today, and I could have summed this up by just reading Romans 7, 6. A Christian is someone who is released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What that means is not you don't have to keep God's law. What it means is you can't keep God's law to be saved. 
But you've been saved and made anew so that you're empowered to keep God's law for his glory. Well, how much of his law do you have to keep to glorify him? Oh, now we're off on a tangent. That's the wrong question. How much of his law can you keep for his glory? And here's where you see the difference between a genuinely saved person and someone who is not. It's a progression. We'll call this the moment of regeneration when you're born anew. We'll call the exit door the moment of glorification when you enter into the Lord's presence. Well, as we walk along in this process called sanctification, we begin to desire to serve the Lord more and more. I'll close with a story that goes like this. A friend of mine called me up. True story. There was this guy who came to faith, Islamic man, lives over in, a, in the, the, what do we call brain, brain cramp, 1040 corridor, is that the proper terminology? Came to faith. He decided he was going to go to his tribe and tell his parents and everyone the gospel. His friend said, you cannot go back. You will be killed if you go back. He says, I have to go back. I've come to know the Lord. I want to tell them who the Lord is. He went back and he shared the gospel. And the whole village came out. His dad was the head of of the village. And they all began stabbing him. Not death blows. They were stabbing him, literally stabbing him to draw this out as long as possible. And they're stabbing him and stabbing him and he's bleeding and he's going to die and they keep stabbing him. And finally his mother, as his father comes up to drive home the death blow of the head of the, as the head of the tribe, his mother cries out, stop! Everyone looks at her. It's not normal culturally. The husband walks over, what? He says, I, I, I just saw the Lord. The Lord Jesus appeared over him. Right before you killed him, he appeared over him and he looked down on him and embraced him kid died. The whole tribe came to saving faith. They had heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit worked rather uniquely in that setting. And we hear that story and it sounds so sad, doesn't it? Can I tell it to you a different way? There was a kid who the Lord graciously convicted of sin and brought to saving faith. He used that kid to tell other people about this good news of forgiveness and reconciliation so the guy's whole family, whole extended family, and whole village came to saving faith. And then the Lord graciously brought him home into his presence in very short order, and he's living in eternal bliss with his master right this very moment. You see, we we listen to a story like that, and we say, well, how did he do that? He didn't do that. do Do you catch that last part? He didn't do that. That was God working through him. Now, this is a trap. You're thinking, I could never do that. I know someone out there thinking, I could never do that. You're right. On your own, you can't. But through him, who is greater, you can and you will. The job isn't to worry about 15 years down the road. It's to worry about today and to ask yourself this question. Do I desire to glorify God? Do I understand what God did to save me? Do I understand who I was apart from Christ and who I am in Christ? Do I understand the power at work within me? Because when you understand those things positionally, practically, you're not stuck in sin. You're stuck with Jesus. Now, next week, we're going to really dig into this. We're going to look at the the nitty-gritty of how we pull this off, but we need to understand before we dig into it, you are free from the law in Christ. But now in Christ, you are free to keep the law in the power of Christ. I don't want to stop here because it doesn't make sense till I finish it, but I'm going to stop here. Father God, I pray that you would help us understand the incredible value 
that we have as your children. Not only in how you see us and in who we are, but in who you are. Lord, you have led us to this pearl of great price. Help us to marvel at its value and worth and beauty. Help us to rejoice in it, this gospel. And Lord, help us, because we are not yet what we will one day be, but we are pretty messed up. Lord, the world confuses us. The culture seeks to conform us. The flesh is at war with us. The desires of the flesh, though we're not captive to them, seem to be a whole lot more powerful and influential than the desires of the Spirit. Lord, please strengthen us. Holy Spirit, please, by your word, convict us deeply, daily, of sin and righteousness and judgment, and then draw us more fully to the beauty of the gospel. Help us to rejoice like Paul does in saying, Oh, what a wretched man I am, but oh, what a marvelous Savior you are, Lord Jesus. Lord God, our our brother Paul the Apostle in, in 1 Timothy, one of his last letters, calls himself the chief of sinners. May we understand that maturing in our faith does not to us look like we sin less. It actually looks like we see more sin day by day. But as people who are saved, Lord, the more sin we see, may we praise you and glorify you and honor you that you saved us from every last ounce of sin, past, present, and future, once and for all on that cross. Lord, remind us that we're not dead. Remind us that we're alive in Christ. Holy Spirit, work powerfully in our lives so the world may look at us and see dead men walking. That they may see you in action. They may see things that are incomprehensible, which you call good works, and that through our good works, we would honor and glorify you. Lord, help us to marvel in these deep truths. We're swimming in the deep end of the pool. Holy Spirit, whatever is from you today, I pray you would plant deeply. You would encourage those who are saved robustly. And if there are any who are hearing this message that have not yet trusted in you, Holy Spirit, that you might draw them to yourself. Convict them of the fact they can't keep your standard. They fall woefully short. But there is a Savior who came to keep that standard on their behalf. And that in whose power through the work of regeneration, through making them born anew, will cause them to walk in your statutes joyfully. Lord Jesus, we need your help in every way. We are so joyful that we have it by grace through faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.